pattern, but um, when I'm called upon to preach, I realized I often speak of uh, some sort of spiritual discipline or practice, like blessings or lament, um, holy attention. And so as I prepared for this sermon this morning and prayed about um, what word um, the Spirit might bring for us, uh, I recalled that not too long ago, somebody really close to me said that she felt prayer was fruitless and empty and she didn't really get the point. And that made me really sad, um, but it also made me wonder if anybody else is having this dry spot in their prayer life where it might feel a little fruitless sometimes. And so um, I thought we might speak a little bit about prayer. So as we know, in the aftermath of any crisis, like a natural disaster, um, some sort of violence, a shooting, there's often this effort or campaign uh, for thoughts and prayers. We are called as Christians, as the community, to pray for those who have been affected. And as it always happens, there seems to be another group that will come in and condemn that effort and voice the idea that um, rather than offer thoughts and prayers, we should actually do something about whatever it is that's being experienced. And whenever that happens, I, I kind of think to myself, maybe those people just don't really understand prayer. But to be fair, sometimes I think the people tweeting thoughts and prayers might not understand it either, <laughs> as we often see leaders who offer prayers but may not actually follow through on anything to stop the situation that is happening. So we might find conviction on both sides, but as is often the case, I believe that God offers us a third way to look at something. Because prayer and action are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I believe that prayer leads us to action and that we should always precede action with prayer so that we know that we are acting according to the will and the teachings of God and that we are being equipped by the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at one of the most famous passages about prayer, Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word for God's people. So the first part of this passage, verses 6 and 7, is probably really familiar, um, and it is indeed a call to prayer. So let me clarify and say that I believe that prayer in and of itself is an action. It's an invitation for God to intervene in our lives, an invitation for God's will to prevail 
in the circumstances that our world is facing. And there have been many times in my life that I believe that I have had prayers answered, generally not in the way that I was hoping for or expecting, and always not on the timeline <laughs> that I had in mind. But when I look back, I can see God at work in situations, in people, and more often than not, in my own spirit. C.S. Lewis once wrote that God, that prayer doesn't change God, it changes the person that's praying. And so for me, prayer stands between worry and peace. And it's really interesting, the sentence, when it's um, translated, they used a military reference. Um, the peace, uh, prayer standing between our worry. It was a sentry. It was a military word for a guard. Um, that prayer would be that guard against our, our hearts and our minds. And so when we think about the way that prayer can work in our lives, and be that, that guard to keep us from worry and anxiety, um, that's a really powerful thing. And we are gifted with that peace that passes all understanding, which is a phrase that I've always loved. Uh, and really it means that we can't really wrap our head around how we can have peace at times that might be so devastating or sad or whatever it is that we're facing that leaves us bereft of peace, when we are granted that serenity and peace of the Lord, it, it just fails us to be able to explain it in any other way than the power of God at work. But I feel like peace that passes understanding also suggests to us that it's not something that we can contrive or produce of our own power that we do have to rely on God and our prayers at work to experience the peace that Paul is writing about. I think when we pray, we experience God in three ways. We experience the love of God, a love that is so overwhelming that he sent his only son to give us an example of how to live, to die for us that we might be saved. And we can experience that love at maybe the darkest times in our life when we feel the most unworthy. We experience God through prayer and God's wisdom. When we find that still small voice and we take the time to listen and reflect on the teachings of God, that wisdom is like a lamp on our feet and a light on our path so that we can discern the way to go. And we experience the power of God when we pray. As I said, it's not a feeling that we can produce on our own when we are granted with the peace of God's love and wisdom and strength. So I believe in the power of prayer in and of itself. But I feel like as much as I love these two verses, 6 and 7, which is often where we stop in this section when we talk about prayer, that it's a little bit misconstrued. I think that's how people kind of make light of the thoughts and prayers because it seems as if we can just cast all that is worrying us 
onto God and then walk away and it'll be fine. And when God talks about our worries and anxieties, or Paul, when Paul's talking about our worries and anxieties here, um, I really feel like he's referring to our own doubt-filled concern for our own lives, our own circumstances. But giving our worries over to God does not let us off the hook for caring about the concerns of others or the injustice that we see in the world. In the book of Amos, the prophet tells us that God does not want our songs or our offerings unless they are also accompanied by justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The prophet tells us that God wants us to act when we see injustice. We take it in our vows when we profess our faith. We accept the freedom and the power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and suffering where we see it. So we extend this prayer to the next two verses of Paul's teaching. Think and act. Rabbis believed that the seedbed of the human soul was our thoughts, that the thoughts that we give birth to form who we are and they form our actions and the way that we treat others. So Paul is challenging us to think on things that correspond to godly teachings so that that will translate into godly living. I had a seminary professor who challenged us to think about this verse, verse 8, as a biography of Jesus Christ. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. These are all ways that Christ could be described. And so when we make it a habit to think on these things, we become more Christ-minded. And when we become more Christ-minded, we become in our actions more Christ-like, which isn't that the point of our discipleship? To learn and to follow the example of Christ? Which brings us to verse 10, the final step, act. Paul writes for us to keep doing the things that we have learned and received. He asks the Philippians, did you learn something from me? Did you receive instruction? Have you seen the example that I have set forth and the example of Christ? Then do it. He tells them to take what they have learned, to take what they know, and to put it into practice and to go and do all the things and I think that that's still a good lesson for us as well. That we have to put into practice what we have learned, what we say, and what we pray so that others can be changed by the power and the presence of God at work among us. I read a story about a monk once 
And he was instructed to pray for all those who suffer. And one day at the monastery, a man showed up who was hungry. And the monk stretched his arm out over the man and he prayed that God would be with him always and that he would be well and that he would never again lack food. And that evening as he was talking to the leader of his monastery and telling him about the man that he encountered, the leader said, well, did you feed him? And confused, he said, no, I, I prayed for him. And his leader said, my friend, your prayer was only half finished. Because our actions, as well as our words, are our prayers at work in this world. If all we ever do is pray for those who suffer, but we are unwilling to take any action to do anything to help them, then we are mouthing our prayers, but we are missing on ministry. In prayer, we find Christ. In service, we find people. And that's where we become the hands and the feet of Christ and the full body of Christ at work in the world. Prayer should lead us to that deeper connection with Christ, and that should lead us to concrete acts of service, as was his example in the Gospels. It does, however, come with a little bit of a warning, because this call to action is not a call to busyness, it's not a call to serve out of obligation or guilt. It's not a call to signal our virtue so that everybody knows how great and righteous we are. It's not a call to pious activism. Rather, it is a call to act the way that God calls us to act. And to do that, we have to circle back to the beginning, and we have to pray. Prayer to discern where, when, and how God leads us to act. When we listen to God, we allow ourselves to be changed, and that inner change, equipped with the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, can lead us to serve with a joyous, and a grateful heart. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today so thankful for this gift of prayer that you have given us. This gift that, that we can speak to you and pour out all that is on our hearts, both joys and sorrows, confession and supplication. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of those around us. Open our eyes that we may see suffering and injustice where it occurs. And then, Lord, give us the courage to follow your example and to reach out to those in need of your grace, in need of your presence. Help us to know your will so that we are ever moving forward towards your kingdom on earth. Amen.